I want to um, share with you something that you might find a little strange to begin with, but if you bear with me, uh, we want to look at scripture. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, one of the things that has always struck me about um, gospel preaching and, and teaching and the way people uh, carry on is, is they take a scripture and they make it the kind of centrality of everything and they get it so wrong because they don't look uh, and as I say so often uh, when you take the Bible you've got to look at who said it to whom it was said why it was said in the context that it was said and then you've got to see how it would apply to an individual today and I suppose because uh, we have a sign at the front that says Pentecostal Church, um, people would assume we would always go to Acts chapter 2. And uh, that's where I want to go. Uh, but they will forget something. And um, when gospel preachers go out, or when individuals go out to talk to people, uh, they always kind of come back to a, a wrong way of trying to lead people to Christ and into life. And if you try and lead people into life the wrong way, I want to tell you what will happen. They won't arrive there. Because they start on the wrong premise. And if you start on the wrong premise, then You'll, you'll get it wrong. If you talk about um, to individuals and you tell them that they must repent, sounds all very well. But what do you mean? If you talk about godly sorrow, how is a sinner going to know what godly sorrow is? For goodness sake, he doesn't know who God is yet. He's alienated from God. And, and yet it's amazing how Christians deal with people in jargon that is basically theirs with understanding now a Christian can know what godly sorrow is when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church who'd gone into sin having become had come behind in no gift of the spirit he pointed out hey you can go uh, and you should have godly sorrow he said what clearing of yourselves what vehement desire yeah that's for a Christian but not for a sinner and here was Peter on the day of Pentecost standing up and it wasn't sinners he was talking to. In the true sense of the word, these were people who had come on the day of Pentecost, it says, devout men out of every nation had come together, devout and holy men. And the day of Pentecost wasn't a day of including in a mass of sinners. It was bringing people who knew the atonement they knew the covering of their sin. They knew what the Day of Atonement meant. They lived under the Mosaic Law. They lived under an understanding of forgiveness of sins. And on that day, devout and holy men out of every nation came together. 
And Peter stood up in the midst of them and he said, repent. He was talking to people who understood the law. He was talking to people who had a notion of what it was all about. He wasn't talking to the man off the street. And yet I find so often people want to talk to men off the street and try and apply to them an understanding. I found it years ago. I went to Uganda. Uh, and, um, you know, there were the Bugandans in Uganda. But I went out to a tribe. It was in Karko. And I was speaking to them. And I asked them to receive Christ. And little did I know that um, amongst the Bugandans, at least where we were, it was an insult ever to disagree with a stranger. And I'd just come the first day. And so when I asked them to receive Christ, everyone responded. Why? Because it was a tribal taboo to ever disagree with a stranger. So they would agree with me no matter what I said. If I had said, the sky is uh, red, the grass is purple, they'd have agreed with me. Uh, they'd have agreed with anything. Because I was a stranger. And I, I knew that something was wrong, so I explained the gospel to them a little more clearly. And then I asked them again, and, and everyone responded. I thought, this is not right. I know there's something wrong here. Now, I talked about sin. Now, what they thought I meant by sin was eating corn on the cob or sitting on stone. In other words, tribal taboos. They didn't realize that I was talking about the sin that I understood as sin. I found that out three days later when I wasn't a stranger anymore. They then told me they didn't agree with a word I said. But, but if I was one of these evangelists that went into Africa, took a quick picture and got out before the third day, I'd be a great man. Uh, after the third day you find out, hey, they hadn't got any basis of understanding of what sin and righteousness were, they hadn't got any basis of understanding. And often, when we come to people, we try and deal with them on the basis of what we understand, and we don't deal with them on the basis of their ignorance. And you start from a basis of realizing, hey, these people, they haven't got a foundation of anything. You've got to start from where? And it's the same in our nation. People come, and, and unfortunately we've got religious people. God deliver us, but we have. Got a lot of religious people. And, and you use words, and the same words mean something different. Have you noticed that? With some people, the word will mean something different to other people. I'm amazed how... Um, Bad it is. You can use the same word. People will find fault. Do you know with Jesus Christ they always wanted to find fault? My goodness me. Now the religious people could always find fault with him. Well, you know, <laughs> you're an ignorant carpenter's son. Huh. You were born out of wedlock. Well, actually he was. That's true. But they put the spin on it, it was a wrong spin. You see, uh, God was his father, not Joseph. 
And so, in a sense, what they were saying was right, but they were saying it right to be wrong, weren't they? Hello? You understand what I'm saying? Or am I talking in Chinese to you? You understand? Okay? Uh, and so you've, you've got um, accusations fired off. And there always be people, and there are people in this church, as there are in every church, that will always want to put a spin on anything because that's the way they are. And then there are people who are committed to Christ and really love him. And then there are people who are totally committed to Christ and live as true Christians. Not many, but there are some. Because you see, a true Christian only wants to do the will of him that sent him. True Christian is totally dedicated. Uh, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, I'm not talking about saved people, I'm talking about someone who wants to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. And self-denial and a choice of leading a life totally dedicated to Christ is the choice of a true disciple. Now there's a lot of people that come to church, believe in forgiveness of sins, believe in salvation, believe in lots of things, but they don't actually ever get committed to Christ. They're not really building his church. They're just taking the benefits that Christ gives and living for themselves. They're the people that come to church and they like to take everything that's the blessing, but they forget, hey, just a minute, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. You're created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has before ordained that you should walk in them. There's a lot of people that don't walk in any good works, what they walk in is their selfishness. They come to church, they get the benefits, and then they live their life as though they belong to themselves. That's not Christianity. That is deception. It has a name of Christianity, you say, well, you know, I believe certain things, but I want to deal with the people who come from the world. What do you say to them? The man who comes from the world. Well, first of all, you need to understand what state is in. Uh, Peter, when he says, look, in Acts 2 verse 38, he says, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And here he was, gathered together, and just so that you'll know, um, Uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. You remember that? Okay. Uh, don't ever think that there were just sinners in Jerusalem, uh, and it was just a mass of, you know, 3,000 added to the church, was just anyone. Now there was a time, you'll find, as the progression of the gospel goes on, you'll find that by the time you get to Paul going, there's people burning their books on witchcraft, but that was a progressive thing and it was way down the road. You won't find that in chapter 2. And very often people, when they look, 
when you start with a church, you need to get people who, who have some religious inclination into life. But now I'm talking of the sinner. Person who doesn't know anything. Person off the street. Person who, who might have gone to church for the Hatch Matched and Dispatched Bureau. You know, they go for a christening, then they go for a wedding, and then they go for a burial. And that's about the only time they see church. And you get in the more evangelical churches and the people who come more regularly, but they can be just as dead. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, and there's two types of people in the world, and today you're one type or the other. There are only two types of people in the world. And I want to examine it, and you better decide which you are. Important you know which you are. Only two types of people. Uh, in um, Corinthians chapter 2, it says this in verse 14, The natural man, that's the man who's never come into any real spiritual experience, receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now that means a man of the street, a man who's ignorant, cannot receive the things of the Spirit. He thinks they're stupid, they're foolish, there's no way he can know them, because they're spiritually discerned. If you're not a spiritual person, there's no way you're going to understand anything of the things of God at all. If you're a natural man, you're born, you've never had a new birth experience, you've never come into any experience of God, I want to tell you, when you come into a church like ours, you see people beginning to praise God, raise their hands, you think you're amongst a bunch of lunatics. I remember the first time I went into a church, I sat there in a church and this wretched woman behind me. Every time the preacher said, she was saying, praise God, hallelujah, praise, I was saying, shut up, trying to listen. And you know, everything was praise God, hallelujah. She kept on and on. It irritated, it was foolishness to me. Mind you, there's a lot of people that shout praise God, hallelujah, so they can get conviction off them. They hear the preacher say something that's really right, and so immediately they say, hallelujah, let's get it out of my soul. Don't want conviction landing here. I, I don't like that. I like people to listen. If you want to say hallelujah, say hallelujah at the end. Some people like to just shout hallelujah to be spiritual. It's not spiritual doing that if you're not listening. You listen to learn, don't you? Hello? All right? Uh, some people just love, love to just shout and make a noise. But this woman, she made a noise. Now to me, I watched them lifting their hands up while they were sunk. I thought, these people are crazy. When I was asked to go down the front to talk to someone and I saw people being prayed for and falling on the ground 
I looked at it and I thought, these people are stark raving bonkers. That's what I thought inside. I thought, goodness me, this is extreme. The natural man doesn't understand. He thinks the things of the spirit foolish. It's foolish to go to a sick man and lay hands on them and pray for their healing and health and tell them to get up when they're crippled. How can you do it? It's foolishness. How is it that you can say that blind eyes open when they're blind? I mean, that's stupid. When you're a natural man. To believe God is going to somehow provide for you and open up the way and set you free and transform your life is stupid to the natural man. Because the natural man just doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. But there's a reason why he doesn't understand them. And it's the reason we need to get to. Ephesians chapter 2, you'll find it. Um, and it says this in verse 1 and you who's he talking to? okay you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You were dead in trespasses and sins. That was your state. There was a time when you were dead. Spiritually dead. You weren't physically dead. You were spiritually dead. Sin brought death into you and you were dead. So when you heard of spiritual things, when you saw spiritual things, they were just foolishness to you. There was no life in you that could respond to them. There was just death in you. And he, Paul writes and he says, We all had our manner of life in times past, walking according to the flesh, in death. Spiritually dead. Now there are people who think they're alive or dead. And he goes on and defines that death. You were dead. Totally dead. And he made you alive. In time past you walked according to the course of this world. One thing's for sure. A person who's dead is governed by the things of this world. That's what the Bible teaches. In other words, the course of this world, the way this world's going, this culture's going, the way the attitudes of the world's going, that's the course you walk in. You agree with it. And it's according to Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience. In other words, you're a child of the devil. Not only are you dead, but you walk according to that spirit that works in you. 
And there's a spirit inside of you, working, when you're outside of Christ. Not only is there death, but there is something that destroys and kills working in you too. A deadly thing. And Paul's defining it so people understand. So often I find people, uh, they don't understand why when you reach out to the lost, you, you can't bring them in by telling them to repent because basically their life is governed by the world. Hey, without God they'll never see anything. Without life, how are they going to know? They're dead. It's no good going in to a mortuary where there's a corpse and trying to teach that corpse philosophy. Or trying to teach that corpse anything. Why? Because it's dead. There's only one way that corpse can function, and it function in life, it's that's by the five senses. But spiritual sense it hasn't got. It's outside of its experience. And lots of people outside of their experience is spiritual life. They don't understand. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They're dead. Dead, dead, dead. Now, a dead man can make decisions to change, but unfortunately he's got no power to change. He'll be what he is because he works and he has a spirit working in him. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. It's there. And so when you meet people outside of Christ, I want to tell you, they're dead. And they won't understand spiritual truth. So don't waste your time. There's a way to bring them to life. We'll come to that in a minute. 1 John chapter 3. I'm just establishing where they are first so you understand it. You understand where you are. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, this great apostle of love says, We know that we have passed from death into life. Ah, glory to God. See, you were dead. And when you have an experience of God, a true experience, you know you've passed from death into life. And there's a way of knowing it. Doesn't leave it at that, he explains how. Because we love the brethren. Uh huh. When a man moves from death into life, the first thing that's born in him is love of the brethren. A man who's truly in life, hey, is a man in love. He loves God and he loves those that are begotten of God. If you don't love those that are begotten of God, I'm talking about truly begotten of God, forget it. You haven't passed from death to life, you're still in death. You know it, because one of the 
signs of a person who's born into life is suddenly the love of the brethren becomes a natural thing in them. When I first went amongst those folk, I thought they were cookie. When God met me, I loved them and realized that everyone else was cookie. Everyone else was crazy. Suddenly I'd passed from death into life. Suddenly I found all my allegiance, all my true love, all my care had gone to the brethren, the people of God and the people of the world. I didn't belong to them anymore. I'd changed course. I'd changed sides. I'd changed allegiances. Once it was the prince of the power of the air that governed my life, suddenly I moved from death into life, and all of a sudden, I, those people over there, didn't, I didn't belong to them. Their way of life didn't belong to me anymore. The course of this world wasn't mine anymore. It was the purposes of God that became mine. I got born again. That's what happened to me. It was that clear. There's a great difference between someone who's dead and someone who's alive. Hmm? And spiritually, that's so. See, when you're truly born from above, I tell you what happens, all of a sudden, you just don't belong over there anymore. You just couldn't be over there because there's nothing over there that's part of you. You're alive. Now we all had our conversation in time past over there, but that was past. Not ours anymore, if we're truly born of God. Now there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians and they live in the wrong place. And their lives are governed by the course of this world. The truth is they're not born. The truth is they aren't Christians. They're religious, but they're dead. That's why they have no love. Verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That's how I want to tell you. I know who's a Christian and who isn't. Simple. A person who's truly born of God will love me person who doesn't like me, I know they're not a Christian. Simple as that. That's dead easy, isn't it? Hello? That's easy. Now don't you say, oh, I, like, I love someone, but I don't like them. Don't talk rubbish. That's one of the stupidest comments I hear amongst some charismatic Christians. It's a load of gobbledygook, whoever he was. I mean, if... <laughs> If you don't like someone, you don't love them, I tell you that, for nothing. When, when a person's alive, it's your spirit that's alive, and your spirit and their spirit's one in God. You meet them and immediately you know there's the light of God in them. Hey, there's something inside of them, and you can't help but love them because you love God. And your whole life is enveloped in God and you're alive from the dead. Hey, you know, the prince of the power of the air doesn't work in you anymore. You're not living in disobedience, you're living in life. You're alive. And that brings with it a clear and obvious conduct in your life. 
You can't hate the brethren. You don't like the devil and you don't like the devil's disciples. I, I'd agree with that. Don't come with this nonsense that, oh, well, I love everyone. I want to tell you something. I will never love the devil. Thank you very much. I, I think that he's horrible. Spiteful. And so are his disciples. And there's quite a few of them around. Make no mistake about it. That's why it says, we were talking on Friday about the tongue set on fire of hell. Little member. Hey, these are the people that are in death and haven't come to life. They're killed with their words. Murderers. Well, they're there. Whatever they pretend, they're there. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's look. You, you look, need to look in your Bible for this. this. Are you with me so far? It's easily understood, isn't it? might not be that you like to be with me. See, everyone is of, of one type or the other. You're, you're either in life or you're in death. You, know, you really are. Um, in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it makes it plain where death came from. And I'm talking of spiritual death. And verse 17, For if by one man's offence, that was Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now you're either in death or you're in life. Either death reigns in you or life reigns in you. And it's always going to be obvious which it is. Because your whole life conduct, the whole way you live, the way you respond to God, the way you respond to the brethren, will be obvious. And you can't even understand or love the brethren if you're not in life. If you're in death, you're according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's part of you. You'll hate truth. And you'll hate the purveyors of truth. You might disguise it with your religious lies, but that's what you really do. Because the seed in you and the spirit in you is against God. It's as plain as that. And everyone's either in life or in death. Turn to the person next to you and say, which are you? You know, some of you, you'll find they don't respond at all. See, they're dead. <laughs> goodness me. Now I'm talking of spiritual death, alright? You can't understand. This spirit man, spiritual man, he, he's kind of in an alien world from, from the, the course of this world. He, his whole beliefs, his faith, everything about him is different from this world. If you're party to this world and if you're happy with this world and if you go according to the course of this world, you're dead spiritually. That's why you can get on so well with the filth. Because you belong to it. 
You'll love the filth. Why? Because it's your natural habitat. You know the natural habitat for dead people is in the, in the graveyard. You don't see them bobbing down the high street. Why? They're dead. Dead and buried. See? And spiritually, you'll be happy with the people that are like you. You'll find more. That's why you, you say birds of the feather flock together. I always notice people that come to the church, religious but in death, they'll like to get together. Well, they can. They can rattle their bones together. I mean, they're dead. They like to get with dead people like them, you see, because the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in them, hey, they've got something in common. It's called hatred. They hate truth. It doesn't have to be that way. But that's the way it is. When we all come into a church, we're one or the other. And there's no way around it. Sorry about that. See, you can't... This idea people talk about commitment. Get people committed. You can't get people committed. No one will ever be committed to Christ unless they're alive. You, you can't get commitment out of dead people. When Ezekiel went to the valley of dry bones, God said, what do you see? You see, I see a valley of dry bones. And when he saw the valley of the dry bones, the knee bone wasn't connected to the thigh bone. Uh, there was nothing there. There was just dry bones. Uh, and God said, can these dry bones live? And he says, oh God, he says. It, well, it say, that's how, what it says in Scripture. I, I'm sure he said, oh God. And then he said, thou knowest. Or he said, oh God, thou knowest. I don't know whether it was despair when he looked at the dry bones. If, if God took you to a valley of dry bones and said, can these bones live? Can you imagine being a pastor? You look out on a congregation and half of them are dry bones. I mean, I know they've got skin and blood around them, but basically you can see the bones. I can see the bones. Dry bones. And when God says, can these dry bones live? You look at them and say, oh God, thou knowest. Because if God doesn't speak a word, I want to tell you, dry bones remain dry bones. If God doesn't do something... People remain dead in their sins and their trespasses. You, you can't get commitment out of people that are dead. You just can't. You know, dead people don't build much, do they? Huh? Have you noticed that? They're, actually, all they want to do is decay and destroy. Because that's their gift. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Look, outside of Christ, there's the sin question, and death passed on everyone. That was what happened with Adam, death, spiritual death, all right? So you're all, all of us 
in times past, we were all dead in trespasses and sins, all right? Everyone. Now, you might not have come out of that death yet. We're going to talk about how to get out of it, but that's where you start. You see, when you talk to a sinner, he's dead. You aren't going to get much response out of him if you say, you've got to repent, you've got to clean up your life. Well, he's living according to the course of this world and the course of this world to him seems alright. He hasn't got a clue what's wrong. Eating corn on the cob is terrible. It's his tribal taboo. But that's just a tribal taboo. In society there are taboos, aren't there? There are things that people think are terrible. There are things that they think, you know, ah, there's politically correct. And so the course of this world has its own values. You go to different nations and they've all got their own values, their own culture. And that is what they think. And you tell a sinner, you know, clean up your life. And what he'll think is his culture and his society and what they value as right and wrong, that is what you do. They don't think of God and they can't understand spiritual life. They don't understand they're dead. They don't understand they're in sin. They don't understand what's wrong. Why? Because they're dead. And the spiritual truths just don't become real to them. They just look at you. You say, you're a sinner. They say, well, everyone sins. You say, no, but, you know, I've been saved. And I say, huh, have you? I suppose you never exceed the speed limit then. If you're a Christian. I suppose you're one of those that doesn't smoke and doesn't drink. You see, the course of this world has set taboos, hasn't it? Hello? And the dead people don't understand sin at all. You don't know sin, but by the law... I'm, I'm talking of the Gentiles now. Okay, go on, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the likeness of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, for death reigned from Adam to Moses. The only reason it stopped reigning at Moses' time is because of the old covenant and the atonement where their blood was covered by, uh, their sin was covered by the blood of animals and the skins of animals. And there was the mercy seed on which the blood was sprinkled once a year, a day of atonement. It did, never got rid of sin, it just covered it. Uh, and death reigned, so there was a way for God's covenant people to know forgiveness once a year on the day of atonement. And that was um, really meaning to bring them out of death. But unfortunately, they carried on in their sin. The law couldn't make people perfect. The blood of bull and goats didn't make people perfect. It didn't deal with their conscience. It didn't deal with their nature. And God was wanting to get inside man and woman and change their inward nature. 
So instead of going according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worked in the children of disobedience, they needed a transformation inside. And that didn't happen with Moses. What happened with Moses is atonement. That meant you got forgiveness for your sin, but no nature change. Didn't happen. And God realized man couldn't keep law. The law was good. But the death that had reigned from Adam to Moses, it didn't get eradicated. It was still there. And it was a big problem. And then we find... Are you still with me? Right, now you come to Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 10. John 10. We've got death reigning in anyone who's not in life. Alright, John 10. The thief, verse 10, John 10, 10, The thief cometh not but to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil. That's the devil's job. The devil comes to destroy. He comes to kill. And that's what happens. Dead people, they, they want to bring everyone into their death. <coughs> There's a spirit that works in them, children of disobedience. And that spirit's always working towards death. They want to snuff out the life in other people because death worketh in them. They're dead. And then it says very clearly, I am come, that's Jesus, that you might have life. Up to that point there was no life. Jesus came to be life. He came to give us life. Death had reigned. Now we have the Saviour coming to bring life. And so he's saying there's coming a change. Death's going, life's coming. Most important to understand, we've got death reigning. Now Jesus comes and he says, listen fellas, I've come to bring life. Most wonderful promise. And the word life there, if you want to go, no, it's Zoe in the Greek. It means the nature of God, the life of God. Jesus is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the reality. And it's that very nature, the essence of God. God's come to give us and bring us into that essence. You see, life is in God. In Christ. And outside of that there's death. And we're all dead in trespasses and sins until we come and meet Jesus and receive life. We can't understand life. We can't un you can't explain to someone when you're born again what's happened. You can tell them that your life changed, but you can't explain what life is. Because a dead person can't understand. 
You start saying, well, God burst forth. I knew my sin was forgiven. I knew the weight of sin was gone. I felt I was walking on air. I, oh, yeah? And then he thinks you've gone plumb loco. You'll become a religious fanatic with a bat in your attic. And they look at you and they don't understand. And you can't explain to them what's happened because you've suddenly been transformed. No longer do you go according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You've been born from above and you're alive in God. And that's Jesus. He says, come, I've come to bring you life. But you see, a dead man without life can't live. And a dead man can't respond to life. So how does a dead thing come alive? Is a question. And that's a very good question. And I'm glad I asked it. Because you might not have done. So I asked you. You've got two types of people. And they're different. See? Stand up, Colin. You know what I need. Stand up, Pete. There you are. Look. Look at this. You've got two types of people. You've got someone in choir robes and you've got someone in a deck chair. <laughs> Jacket, you know. Like it. I like it. Here's two types. Now look. This man's alive. Oh, well, okay. This man's alive. I don't want to humiliate Cole, you know. This man's alive. His voice is failing him, but he's alive, okay? Uh, uh, and this man's dead. Now, there is just no communication. There's just no way there can be any communication between these two. The live man naturally finds his identity with people that are like him. They all wear purple. <laughs> they sing like angels. I'm not sure that some of them aren't in deception, but there we are. Uh, they sing like angels. This man, he hadn't got the uniform on. He's got a deck chair around him. And, and he, he's not like them. This man, he can identify with these people. When he stands, they all stand. You see, the whole court... Now, when, when they stand to sing, he sits. He doesn't belong. And it's the same with people who are in life and people who are in death. People in life just belong to one course. The people in death, they don't belong. They can watch, but they can't understand. They can't enter in because they're not part of it. If you're part of the choir, then, then you become part of the whole. If you're part of Christ and part of life, then it's a natural thing to you. The way you live. Your garment speaks of the robe of righteousness. There's just a way of living. Your whole nature inside is one of rejoicing. Why? Because God's alive in you. But for the person who sits down and he's a spectator, he might like what he sees, but he doesn't understand it. There's no way you can understand what's happened to those that are alive from the dead. It's just, uh, it's just something he looks at. 
They're not comprehension. And a lot of people can come into a church, they'll hear and hear and hear, but they'll never come to life. They'll never really be committed because they look on it, they want it, they imitate it, but they can't live it. And that's why we need to know how we can pass from one to the other, isn't it? Okay, thank you. It's a good example, isn't it, there? You understand that, do you? I'm just trying to make it simple for you. Because I know if you don't make it simple, you won't understand. And if I do make it simple, you probably won't understand either. John 8, verse 44. Jesus, talking to the religious people of his day, defined them. And you'll find it in John 8. And this was a, quite a hard saying, wasn't it? Oh, let's take, let's take verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Here he's talking to the religious leaders of his day. And he goes on and says, You are of your father the devil. See, you want to know who you belong to? You belong to the devil. Your father is the devil. Now here's, here's people who pray, who fast, who tithe, who do all the right religious things. Oh boy, they should be number ones. And Jesus says, you're of the devil. They were dead. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of, of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. <laughs> you see, you're your father. There are people, I know there are people sitting here who no matter how much you tell them the truth, they're not going to believe it. Why? Because they're of their father, the devil. You're not going to change them. <laughs> Nothing you do will change them. People that belong to the devil belong to the devil. That's their gift. Huh. They're dead. You tell them the truth, they won't believe you. They're murderers. They'll go about and seek to destroy you. When you challenge them and confront them, they'll try and destroy you. Why? I tell you why. Because they belong to their father. They, they're, according to the prince of the power of the air, they're Satan's children. They might come disguised as Christians don't kid yourself they are about their work don't be surprised when they're like that because that's what they are people will always function according to type now they might be good for a little while Mao Zedong wrote in his little red book it's easy for a man to be good for a little while you can change your manner of life for a little while, you can change your outward appearance, but basically you'll always revert to your nature. What you are is what you'll be. 
You'll revert to what you are inside. No matter how you try, it'll always come back. What you are. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. It's come to change us. And we need to know how to get there, don't we? Oh no, maybe we don't. I mean, we don't want to be of the father of the devil, do you? You don't want people to say, Ha! I know who your father is. They know by the way you are. But you see, we all had our conversation in time past that way. Came a day when God birthed us. Glory to God. 1 John chapter 3. You're all in one state or the other. Some of you are just in a state. You know, that's what always amuses me. They, when, when famous people die, they leave them lying in state. They're already in a state. <laughs> but they leave them lying in state. And everyone files by them. Say cheerio. I mean, they're not there. They're gone. They're just in a state. People like to kind of go and say, oh, I went to... I've never felt prone to do that, you know? As far as I'm concerned, absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. Death has no sting. We're alive in God. Amen? We're Christians. Verse 10. 1 John 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. See, you're one or the other. You're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And it's to do with righteousness and sin. Alright? Hello? You're one or the other. Doesn't matter that you come to church, you're one or the other. You're either in life or death. Two Corinthians chapter four. Two Corinthians four. Got quickly go there. Let's. Two Corinthians four. Verse 3 says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them that believe not. The God of this world blinds their minds. Now if someone's got a blinded mind because the God of this world blinds their mind, you're not going to reach that mind. The gospel is hid from them. The good news is hid from them. You can tell them the good news, but it's hid. They're dead. They, they just don't understand. The God of this world's blinded their minds. And then it goes on and explains it a bit more. 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 17 says this, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. You see, a dead person has a blind heart. He has ignorance. He's alienated from the life of God. He, he's of the devil. And there's only two types of people on earth. There's children of the devil and there's children of God. That's it. And we like to... Christians today, they're ashamed because the world doesn't like to believe in a devil and the world doesn't like to believe in a God, and therefore they turn around to you and say, oh, you don't believe that, that there's a devil. Yes, I do! I believe that people are children of one or the other. The seed that's in a man is of one side or the other. Today, you're in one family or you're in the other. Make no mistake. If you're not in life, you're in hell because you belong to the devil. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what I believe. Blindness of mind, blindness of heart, going according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, captivated by death, there to destroy and to kill a child of the devil boy you're in a mess now how do you get out of it's the question now if someone's dead how are you going to convince them if someone's outside of life how are you going to help them if someone belongs to the devil They've got a blind heart, they've got a blind mind, they've got a blind everything. And they're blind in their anger against the true children of light. They cover it up with their religion. And you won't get them committed to anything except their own evil desires. Hey, got a problem. And you go and you tell them to repent and then you tell them they need to feel godly sorrow. Who's God? <laughs> the only God they know is the devil. Try and explain the precious things of the word of God to them and they look at you with a blank stare. They can't understand spiritual things. They're a natural man. No way they know. What are you going to do with them? And then their minds blinded so the light of the gospel doesn't shine to them. I'll tell you something. Inside of some of you, 
You've got such prejudice and such anger against the truth of God and the people of God that you won't even hear, no matter how long someone talks to you, because your prejudice will keep you away. When I get up and say something, you'll disagree with it. You'll mutter. Well, people know you mutter. They know you're rebellion. They know, but that's because you can't help yourself. You're the devil. It's all right. I don't blame you. You just belong to your father. I know who your father is. I don't expect any better of you. You'll always do what your father does because that's your nature. Can't blame a person for being what they are, can you? But you sure can blame them for staying that way because there's a way out. That's what's good about our Jesus. There is a saviour. Hmm. Glory to God. Verse 19, who being past feeling give themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned of Christ, if so be that you've heard of him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Glory to God. You know, when you're taught of God, it's so different, isn't it? Hmm? Man, there was a day when I came alive. And then everything became simple. Up to that point, everything was a load of gobbledygook. I, I looked, I wanted, I went to church when I was young. I saw this, this you know, I, I wonder what. People told me, I, but I couldn't understand. Couldn't understand. Had to come a change. And that's what has to happen. Thank God it did happen 2,000 years ago. There came a man, his name was Jesus. Let's start. And this is the only way you'll ever get people into life. If they're in death, first of all, you've got to face the fact they're dead. You know? They're dead. That's it. And a person's got to face the fact he doesn't understand. He's got to look at the manner of his life and what it produces and realise that he's a destroyer. All he does, he never builds anything, he destroys what's good. That's his gift. Against what's good. And then we find in John 3, John's Gospel, chapter 3. Quickly, let's go there. John 3. says this in verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and what you have to understand is there's only one way of salvation, there's only one way of life, it's via Jesus. When Jesus came, he came with a purpose. That the world through him 
might be saved. Not through me, not through you, through him. That's the first thing. Then in Romans chapter 4, go quickly there, Romans chapter 4, you'll discover the secret. We're going back to Romans. Romans 4. It's through Jesus that salvation comes. Not through you, not through anything you do. A dead man can't help himself. Dead man can't do anything. And therefore it makes it plain in Romans chapter 4 verse 4 says this. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that unjust, justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's not, I can't change my life. I want to tell you, when someone led me to Jesus, they never dealt with sin. Because I didn't know what sin was. I knew there were things wrong, I knew I wasn't like them, I knew they had life, but I was dead. I wanted the life they had, I wanted to get into the life they had, but I couldn't get into it of myself. A dead man can't help himself, he's dead. And I wanted life. So there was no way for me to bridge, there was nothing I could do. Nothing. And there's nothing anyone can do. I hate it when people... Tell people, you know, if you believe enough and you respond enough and you do this and you do that, you'll come to life. No, you won't. That's a lie. Because if it was something you do, then you'd work it. It wouldn't be grace. Grace is a free, unwarranted gift. It's something that's given to you that you don't deserve. When you come to life, it's a gift from God. It is not something you work into yourself. It's not something you do. Every one of you that's a child of the devil, you can cease to be a child of the devil this day. You can transform your nature inside this day because there's a God in heaven who'll do it for you. That's why Jesus came. That is his whole purpose, to be your saviour and your redeemer. He didn't say save yourself. There's so much... People quote it. In America they quote, you know, um, you, 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 you've got to save yourself. You've got to do what you can do. Well I tell you, when you come to this part, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. When you're dead in trespasses and sins, you can't get yourself out of it. You're dead. You can't work yourself out of it. You can't believe yourself out of it. You can't do anything about it. You are what you are. Dead. Child of the devil. And if you're a child of the devil, that's it. You probably haven't understood one word I've said. Well, I'm explaining it to Christians so they understand. But what you can do is listen. Verse 25. Jesus was delivered for our offences. He was raised again for our justification. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on Calvary's tree. He was delivered for our offences. That means every sin, everything I've done contrary to God's will in my life, 
2,000 years ago, every offense was satisfied. Justice divine has been satisfied. Jesus took all the punishment for my sin and your sin and the sin of the whole world into his own body on the tree 2,000 years ago. He was delivered for our offenses. Now, you had nothing to do with it. You weren't here 2,000 years ago. But God could foresee and Jesus took all your offenses into his own body. Every single one of them. Both of what you have committed, you do commit and you will commit. He took all your offenses. And there is an eternal justification. He was raised for our justification. He was raised from the dead that you might know that God will never hold one sin against you. Because the offense was dealt with and every offense was dealt with 2,000 years ago. So God to be a righteous God cannot hold against you what has already been dealt with, punished, written off, blotted out, sent away, remitted, gone forever. God cannot hold it against you. He rose to let you know the sin question has been dealt with forever. Is that plain? 2,000 years ago it was done. Legally, it's over. The penalty's been paid. It's a judicial, legal fact that can't be altered. That's wonderful, isn't it? No one can come to you and say, Jesus will not forgive you because it's already been done 2,000 years ago. The devil's a liar. All right? You're all with me? Good. Glad you are. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now, when I was a heathen trying to prove that God didn't exist, and it was hard, but that's what I went for. I went to prove that God didn't exist. And I realized that there was a power I didn't understand. There were people that had something I wanted. I didn't know how to get into it. I didn't know what I could do. I just knew they had some power, they had some life, they had some reality that I wanted. And I looked at them. And this man, his name was Demas Karen. He turned to these scriptures. And he explained to me the way into life. The way out of the devil's hold, the way out of sin, the way out of Satan's grasp, the way out of all the things that bind, he explained the way into life. He said, you're dead. But then he told me how to live. And to my surprise, I could do nothing about it. He didn't tell me I had to do something. He told me how to live. And you can live this morning as simply as that. You say, well, the devil's got hold of my life. I've lived according to the course of this world. There's habits that bind me. There are things that hold me. There's things. I want to tell you, don't try and get rid of them. You can't. They're part of your death life. And your death life needs to be finished forever. You God does it. 
And he does it in a simple way. And here it is. It says so in Romans chapter 10. This was what was told me. Um, verse 8. What says it? The word is nigh thee. It's right near you, this word. It's even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What I'm telling you is faith. You say, I haven't got any faith. I'm dead. I don't understand. You don't have to understand. I'm telling you the word is nigh you. It's right in your heart. It's right in your mouth. It'll change your life forever. That if you will confess with your mouth, that means you'll let your tongue for the first time, instead of being set on fire of hell, let your tongue be set on fire of heaven. You'll open your mouth and you'll confess the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll change your allegiance. Because your whole body can be turned around by the tongue. Once you used it to destroy, to kill, now you can use it for life. And it'll turn your body into life. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. Now that is a fact of truth and reality 2,000 years ago Jesus rose on the third day it's the word of faith which we preach it's nigh you it's in your mouth and it's in your heart you've heard me say it God so loved the world he sent his only begotten son hadn't come to condemn you hasn't come to blame you he's come to give you a way out it just depends whether you're going to take God's way as saviour it's that simple Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart he's risen from the dead. You shall be saved. It's that absolutely emphatic. For with the heart man believeth into righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Heart believes into righteousness. In other words, you live for the devil, now you're going to live for God. You <laughs> were in death, now you're going to be in life. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that simple? Who does it? God does it. God says, if you'll do this, you don't change yourself, God does it by a miracle of new birth. I'll tell you what happened... He told me those words, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I said, but I've always known he's God. And he said, do you believe he's risen from the dead? I said, I've always believed it. But for the first time in my life, from the depths of my being, I knew Jesus was alive. And I want to tell you what happened. The bands of death just burst off me. Hell had no hold anymore. I was alive. Confession with the mouth, faith in the heart, and God births you. And glory, you come out. I want to tell you, you come out of your tomb, not like Lazarus who was all bound up, 
Silly preachers talk about that as being some experience of new birth. It's not. Lazarus died again. He wasn't resurrected. He was a dead man. Lazarus is dead. When Jesus comes out the tomb, he folds up his own grave clothes. Glory to God, he came out free. He didn't need some angel to unwind the stuff. My Jesus is alive, and I'm alive in him. When I came out, I didn't find I had a past, I had a future. I left death behind, I left the grave behind, I rose in him, I was buried with him, I came alive in him. That's, that's Christianity. That's, that's simple, isn't it? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. God says you're going to be saved. What do you believe? All you have to believe is a simple thing. doesn't talk about sin. Did you notice that? <laughs> Demas never talked about sin. He just talked about Jesus. He came to save me. He came to lift me. He didn't talk about repentance. I'll tell you what happened. When God came in, the course of this world was no longer my course. The devil and God of this world was no longer my God. I was alive in Christ. And then I I was saved. My, I didn't give sin up, it gave me up. Said this man, he doesn't want to do it anymore. There's a nature change inside. Everything's come alive inside. What a gift. That's Christianity. You might be religious, you might be like a Pharisee, you might tithe, you might do all the right things, you might pray a lot, but you're certainly not a child of God. Child of God. Alive from the dead. So easy. Confess with your mouth. Now confession doesn't mean just saying it. My Jesus lives. Hey, he comes to... Break the bands of death from off your soul. Comes to set the prisoner free. Comes to break the chains. Comes to loose the heart. Comes to give me life. What a wonder. I'm alive. He lives in me. That's Christianity. Simple. See, that's how you help people. You don't start, oh, you know you're a sinner. Well, so are you. Uh, you know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, it says it in the Bible. Oh, grow up. That doesn't help anyone. Tell them, hey, you're a child of the devil, but you don't have to remain that way any longer. You can be free. Amen. Everyone wants freedom, don't they? Glory to God. Oh, if I haven't stirred anyone else up, I've stirred myself. Glory. Just thinking about it. I tell you. I look at dry bones and God says, can these bones live? I say, oh God, thou knowest. One thing I do know, that if anyone comes to Jesus, he'll in no wise cast him out. If anyone comes and with humility puts their life before God and does what God says and accepts the salvation that's in Jesus Christ, he will be saved. It cannot fail. 
Don't you ever tell me that you cannot. You can. You have the power because God has opened it. He has taken every offence. He's taken all your sin. He's risen from the dead. You can be justified today. There is no reason to live in death and under the tyranny of the devil one second longer. You can have life. And life more abundant. That's what he's come to do. John 10. Ah. My, I found that life. Glory. People thought I'd gone crazy. I'm alive in him. Because he lives, I live. What a God we have. What a God we serve. Amen. Glory. You know, there's nothing can hold you. There's no dungeon. Jesus came, comes to lead the prisoner out of the prison house. Ha. It's all wonderful in God. Glory to God. Ha. Now you can't enter into that victory by your effort. It's a gift. But you can come and do what he says. Confess it. He conquered death. He's Lord of all. He's risen. And that life will flow into your veins and flow into your body and flow into your being. And you'll be alive in him. The word of faith which we preach. If you'll confess it and believe in your heart, you will be saved. I believe it with all my being. Let's stand. Father, I just pray for each one here. Lord, I just ask the word of truth. Enter those hearts. Lord, I know you alone can take away the veil. You alone can open blind eyes. You alone in your mercy and grace can reach in through the death and bring life. Lord, I'd ask each one this day. Lord, by your spirit, let them make a choice that's eternal. A choice that's good. I pray in Jesus' name. While every head's bowed, I want you to do something. If you know the Holy Ghost spoke to you and you know it's time for change. Time for God to do a miracle in your life. I want you to leave where you are and come straight down the front right now, quickly. I want us all to pray. You look at me, you people at the front. I want you to say after me, Lord Jesus, this day I renounce the devil, the world, the course of this world. I accept you as Lord of my life. I believe you're risen from the dead. My heart believes. My mouth confesses. It's true. I know it's so.
From this day, I'm becoming a child of God. I have fulfilled your command. I've confessed it with my lips. I believe it in my heart. And I thank you that you're true to your word. I'm saved by your word, by your truth. Salvation is mine by my confession. My lips have confessed it. It's true. Thank you, Jesus. You're true. Your word is true. You're alive. And I live. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? It's that easy. That was easy, wasn't it? That was easy, wasn't it? Say, well, that wasn't hard. No. God made the way into life so easy. It's wonderful. So wonderful. Now you people at the front, on February the 20th, in the year 2000, at 12.35, you declared before God that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart is risen from the dead. This day is a day in your life. It's a beginning. That's what it is.